we are collecting more and more data and it is easy to get lost developing many things that are not necessarily going to have an impact or that often uh, fail to materialize because we spend one year working on this and then we have another great idea. Data-driven marketing is so yesterday. Welcome to Mobile Heroes Uncensored. My name is John Goods here. Our co-host, of course, is Peggy Ann Salson. Hey, should be a good one. She's on meds. She's been super sick. She's going to say crazy, uncensored stuff. But don't make her laugh because then she'll just cough. So, hey, let's see how it goes. Mute yourself, Peggy, if you're coughing. I will indeed, I will indeed John. Thank you. Awesome. Today, we're chatting about the shift away from data-driven marketing. And that sounds insane. That sounds crazy. It's a bit of a surprising thing. But the replacement isn't about no data. It's also not about complete guesswork. Instead, it's about AI-driven marketing, at least according to today's guest. And Peggy, who is today's guest? Well, it's a hot topic. And we've got a top guest for this, John, because we are chatting with Augustine Ochoa, Performance Senior Manager at WinClap, and WinClap is a growth marketing consulting partner with a singular goal to help the mobile app community move from data-driven marketing to AI-driven marketing, so getting to learn to love AI. And no one is better at the helm than Augustine, who leads the media buying team, where he's responsible for more than 25 performance specialists. Data is his profession and his passion because before WinClap, he was at, where else? The data place, Google Argentina in the DoubleClick team. So he learned it from Google, now the Google marketing platform. And before all of that, he started in the world of digital marketing as a freelancer while studying. So providing Google ads and Facebook ad services as a student, that's pretty cool. Working his way up through an agency as part of the programmatic team, working with DSPs, and now coming to us today, John. Welcome, Augustine. Hey, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. It's, it's good to be here. It is good to have you. And you know what? We're going to have some fun here. But first, let's get into your origin story. You came from Google to WinClap. Tell us about that. Tell us about what pried you out of the warm, comfortable offices of Google. No doubt, having worked at Google prepared me in a great way for what I do professionally. I mean, being part of a company that provides one of the largest technology stacks for marketers gave me the opportunity to get to know the industry in depth, uh, where I was able to see firsthand the pains of large advertisers across multiple industries um, to know what questions are asked and which still have no answer, how to manage big marketing budgets, how can technology push the limits, the importance of data, among many other things. As Peggy said, I worked in the, in the DoubleClick team. I experienced the rebranding to GMP. Then I worked with MarTech projects leveraged on Google Cloud. I was also in the sales team working with large retailers. Today, I apply all this knowledge in WingLab. Uh, we are a growth partner. We help our clients scale by combining media, tech, and creatives to maximize growth in a, in a healthy way. And I am leading the media part within WingLab. I mean, I hinted at it before, 
and it came through in prep, really, Augustine, really strong. You love data. And Google is certainly a company where you can push the envelope and learn a lot. So what was the coolest thing or learning or shortcut you learned then while you were there, but yet you still apply to your work today? It's a good question. I, I worked a lot with data and one of the main learnings I had, and I learned the hard way, is the need to estimate the impact of projects that involve data. I mean, in, in order to correctly choose how to allocate time and resources to maximize the impact on the business. I think that mm -hmm. nowadays, I mean, we are collecting more and more data and it is easy to get lost developing many things that are not necessarily going to have an impact or that often uh, fail to materialize because we spend one year working on this and then we have another great idea and we just drop this one and grab another one. So <laughs> I have seen cases where companies want to innovate, but they don't have a solid technological base. So they don't track correctly or have incomplete data or fragmented data but still they want to do predictive modeling. So that's why I think it's, it's key to understand where, where to put effort and resources, but at the same time, it's the most difficult part sometimes. So uh, especially with so many changes going around. I love In that. I love that. I mean, if you don't have a solid technological background or foundation on which to lay your data and to build up from there, it's impossible. You might as well consult the magic eight ball. You might as well take out your crystal ball. You might as well throw darts at the, <laughs> at the wall and that'll be just about as good. Okay. We got to talk about the elephant in the room. You say we're moving from data driven marketing to AI driven marketing. First of all, what do you mean by that? I think we already see AI and machine learning involved in, in many aspects of marketing, uh, I don't know, we, we see it from ad platforms with increasingly simplified and automated campaigns or standardized predictive models that are already included into some uh, analytics tool, tools to custom solutions to close the loop between online and offline, ML predicting next best offer, chatbots inside banners. I, I mean, we are seeing this and I even see AI in the, in the optimization and design of the media mix. Uh, for example, at WinClub, we developed an AI tool for budget allocation that allows us to maximize efficiency because we know that scaling mobile apps at double digit growth rates, it requires a lot of testing, optimizing a thousand campaigns on several channels simultaneously and technology can help us with this. So. In this case, and in a nutshell, the goal of, the, of this tool is uh, to make budget allocation decisions based on data, leverage on AI, uh, putting aside human intuition while saving valuable time. Uh, so in this way, we ensure this growth with efficiency. It sounds wonderful, and I'm sure it is. I guess one challenge that I always think of when I hear stuff like this is who owns the AI and who owns the insights that come from it and who owns the improvement that is in the AI engine as a result of the advertiser's dollars, right? I mean, if you're advertising with Google or Facebook, their AI is learning. If you're using a creative optimization platform, their AI is learning, and as an advertiser, I want to be getting smarter as well. How's that fit? 
it's very important to have a, at least a reliable partner to work on this and have their own technology, AI, and data. We have our own uh, technology team who works on this, that they make predictions, they test. I think that there is, there is a lot of work to do. I mean, it's, of course, it's more easy to just rely on, on, on ad tech giants such as Google yes. or Facebook, but, but I think it's important <laughs> the machine to do it. <laughs> exactly. But I think it's important to uh, spend time, resources, and work hard to create your own tools, uh, mainly in, in, in this, in this scenario of changes, data privacy, and so on. What does that do about the marketer's role? How does that change what a marketer is and what a marketer does? I think this challenge marketers. We are seeing advertising data more and more fragmented. And another thing that is very common, at least from my experience, is that within the marketers, data is also fragmented sometimes with different CRM systems or disconnected data sources. Uh, this is more common than we, than we think. And I believe that this new scenario of the industry forces them to look inside and see what they have. I mean, uh, I, I believe that having a strong first party data strategy now is becoming more important. And mm -hmm. I don't know if all marketers are prepared for that. Mm -hmm. You mentioned also that marketers are going to need to increasingly make more of their own tools and sort of their, be in charge of their AI themselves. Did I hear that correctly? And if so, I have to follow up to ask, you know, what's that going to demand of marketers? You talk about their role, but what are they going to have to be even better at? I think it's important to, to know the technological capabilities of the marketing technology stacks in order to refine what we do. For example, talking about uh, something very common in user acquisition and in mobile apps industry, which is events, for example, uh, right? I mean, we optimize toward different events. And sometimes, at, at least in my experience, I've seen some advertisers limit themselves to what they can measure from an NMP or analytics tool. And sometimes they forget to what they should be measuring. We should dedicate effort to have, again, a, a strong technological foundation that allows us to remove those limits. Whether we are looking for sales, registrations, leads, or specific in-app events, technology allows us to go further. And for example, to import, a, I don't know, custom events that better respond to a business objective. I mean, we, we can do this. Not all of us do it, but technically it is possible. That's really interesting, right? Because what you're yeah. basically saying is that for most MMPs or maybe analytics packages, they're looking at three, four, maybe seven, 10, maybe 15, 20 events, a limited number of events that indicate revenue potential or advancement, uh, maybe subscription uh, opportunity or something like that, a sale of some kind. And what you're saying is that there's way more events happening. And if you look at that pattern of events leading up to those large events, you can predict better what's going on, who you've got, and the value of your users? Exactly. For example, if we close the sale by phone or in a physical store, where do we optimize for lead generation and, and not for close deals? I mean, technically, 
it is possible. I worked with travel agencies, for example, that optimize their campaigns for profit instead of transactional value of, of the sales. Uh, so they import the margin of each attributed transaction according to the negotiation with the suppliers. So they have a better impact on the business. Uh, we can think about something similar for marketplaces that pays different fees to its sellers. Um, and at the same time, I also work with banks that optimize their credit card campaigns for applications, and they don't look at whether they are uh, giving a premium card or a basic card. So are all those conversions really worth the same? It's not difficult to understand the expected value of, of such a product. And not to mention whether the credit cards are activated or not. That's a, a, another topic. <laughs> you really are deeply into events. In fact, you call it what you're working on and developing an event stack. And we're talking about you know, some of the obvious events that you would optimize to. But how do you know the really key events, the ones that really matter or get a marketer to their goal? It's all about setting the right events and, and looking at the right indicators. And for that, I think it's important to remove those limits that sometimes we we have with our uh, current tools. So I think it's important to always think about the business objectives and, and how I can maximize the impact with marketing campaigns uh, on those business objectives. You're telling us about how to choose the key events. And it depends on the objective. It depends on what you want to be looking at, what kind of platform you've built. What about the biggest misconception about key events and the best approach to choosing them, optimizing these events that really move the needle? What don't marketers understand? Well, I've seen a lot. Long list. He has to think hard. <laughs> I've seen a lot, for example, user acquisition strategies that are uh, just looking at metrics such as a CAC or a CPA or campaigns that only look at ROAS, for example. And, and I mean, I'm okay with those metrics, but I believe that the true success of marketing campaigns is in the LTV CAC ratio. And it's important to analyze it in different timeframes for different channels in order to obtain actionable insights. And, and of course, those are not easy metrics to look at. But again, I think we should put effort on, on, on this. And sometimes, again, uh, ROAS or CPA or, or CAC are great metrics, but are efficiency metrics and not necessarily growth metrics. I mean, you, you can have a very good ROAS, a very good CPA, but a small campaign that don't scale. So when you look for growth, you also look at volume and you may sacrifice uh, efficiency to grow faster and spend bigger budgets. For example, if you sacrifice 15% efficiency to gain 30% more sales, that's interesting and you should consider it. There is a, a, a chief evangelist at Google that says some advertisers are looking for efficiency and others for growth. Some will grow a bonsai and others a sequoia. And these last <laughs> ones go big and drive maximum profitable growth. 
and are okay if some things are not perfectly optimized. And I mean, whichever strategy we pursue, it's important to understand both approaches and, and make decisions with this in mind. I love that. I think that's really oh, yeah. interesting. I think that there's a difference between efficiency and effectiveness. And, um, mm -hmm. and we often strive for high efficiency, but if we lose effectiveness as a result with the bigger goal of growth, I think that can be a challenge. I think that is such an interesting shift in the industry as well, because we had years, Peggy, we're going, you know, it's not about, you know, just, um, your click through rate, or it's not about just how many installs you got, or it's not about how many, you know, people actually opening up. It's the other things, it's the ROAS, it's the LTV and other stuff like that. And now here. Here's another level of graduation and thinking, right? This LTV mm. CAC ratio per channel. That's really, really interesting to look at and something that I don't think most people are yeah. automatically getting. Now, and so, understanding that trade-off, John, as well. I mean, it's interesting how he says, you know, you have one, you have one or the other and you have to make that choice. That choice now is very different than it has been up till yeah, now. Yeah. Yeah, agree. Totally. And and this also impacts, I mean, the the payback and the cash flow of the company. So it's really important mm -hmm. to have this in mind and not just be guided by abstract metrics, but, but also always we should be thinking about the business objectives. Love it. Love it. And yeah, people like to get paid, so cash flow matters. <laughs> um, there's a word that popped up in your pre-call with Peggy, and that word caught my ear, and it was omni-channel. And we've been talking about events, but maybe let's zoom out and get a bigger view of our customer. It's actually really challenging right now, especially on iOS, um, but even on other platforms, it always was challenging, but frankly, with more and more privacy, fewer and fewer identifiers that are available and fewer that will be available with third-party cookies going away sometime, eventually, maybe in 50 years, I don't know, Google will finally do it. Who knows? <laughs> we'll see where that goes. GAID is going away, right? So it's getting harder and harder to have that 360-degree view of a customer. How are you helping customers? get at least a more comprehensive picture of who their users, their players, and their customers are. In an omnichannel approach, it's important to be customer or, or, or user-centric. And I think it's also important to understand the pros and cons of being just multi-channel uh, or omnichannel. I mean, if we want to improve the LTV of a client, we must deliver a consistent experience across the different touch points. Um, I think there are some key aspects uh, around that. The first one for sure is first party data. As you said, John, mobile advertising IDs and cookies are disappearing. So it becomes more important for advertisers to develop a strong first party data strategy because you can use it as an input to acquire new users or to re-engage existing ones. Uh, definitely, CRM data provides valuable insights for marketing campaigns. So that's one thing. Another thing that I am, that I am seeing is that in this context, publisher data is also more relevant because they know their users and audiences very well and can provide valuable insights for advertisers. So I'm seeing uh, more attractive solutions coming from publishers, and I think that will continue this way. Um, 
And at the same time, we, of course, we have uh, contextual targeting solutions or privacy safe audiences, panel audiences like TV and other tools that will continue to help us as they are uh, being developed. But another key aspect, I think, in terms of being omnichannel and relevant and consistent with the users and customers, it's the personalization. I think that creatives and messages are key to successful campaigns, either through contextual or audience targeting. It is always important to be relevant. And I think that every year creatives are a major lever for optimization. And we need to test, analyze that fatigue, adapt the creative to the channel where we are communicating, to the placements, to users' context. Uh, we need to use different strategies from animation to user-generated content. Uh, for me, it's key to have a good creative strategy to scale. I can say that it's personalization with creative analytics and a lot of testing. Uh, for me, that's a, that's a key, not just in, in an omni-channel omni approach and almost in everything right now in, in marketing. What you need for this approach, and you're talking a little bit also about the trends, you're looking ahead. So I'd like to stay with that for a moment. Let's talk about that. Your work with clients at WinClap, you know, it's your job to see around corners. It's your job to see trends, just like the ones you've been sharing, personalization, creative optimization. What's the one thing advertisers should know about what's coming up next that will change their strategic planning today? I see a combination of three forces that challenge the industry, especially mobile performance advertisers. The first one is, of course, data privacy and all the changes that are happening. Secondly, the global macroeconomic context of recession and inflation. I mean, we, we can't escape mm -hmm. that. And thirdly, the changes in user behavior as social norms return to pre-pandemic patterns and the time spent on digital product decreases. This is happening around, and we see this in data. I mean, with game developers reporting drops in app installs in the first half of the year, Netflix reporting a drop in subscribers, Google decelerating its year-over-year -year growth in advertising revenue for some products. I think it's a reality right now, and uh, this brings very interesting questions, such as, are the benchmarks we have been using still valid? Are the predictive LTV models that were created with data from the last two years still accurate? Or, mm. I don't know, can we expect the cohorts to continue behaving in the same way? We are not sure. Um, no, that is why no, I mean... no. <laughs> the yeah. world changed. People changed. Yeah. The economy changed. <laughs> Patterns are changing. <laughs> exactly. And, and that's why I think that right now it's essential to have a solid measurement strategy. Uh, not only do we have to be sure that we are tracking and measuring the right events, but also incrementality testing, media mix modeling, and uh, channel macro analysis are also key today. And we must constantly measure because everything is so changeable uh, that we cannot make decisions based on an, a study of a year ago, for example. So I think that's a challenge right now. And if we apply this methodology to channels, placements, creatives, audiences, we'll be able to uh, scale efficiently. But if we simply 
recycle creatives and strategies and fill the platforms with money without analysis or, or measurement behind it, it will be a guaranteed failure. The platforms like that, though, fill them with money. You <laughs> <laughs> promised she wouldn't do that. <laughs> I promised Peggy I wouldn't make her laugh. Now she has to go on mute. <laughs> Peggy's so true. I love it when you are brazen, John. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. I think um, we're coming to a close here. Peggy's meds will only last a certain <laughs> period of time. So <laughs> sorry, Peggy, making you laugh again. Go on mute again. <laughs> Let's finish up here. Two questions, quick answers. What's the best advice you have for mobile marketers right now? My best advice would be, as, as I just said, to have a strong uh, data and measurement strategy. I think mm -hmm. that's a game changer today. Excellent. It's also something that is easy to say and hard to do. <laughs> really, exactly. really, really hard to do. Okay, last question. What is your least censored opinion about mobile marketing today? My least censored opinion about mobile marketing. Okay. Yes, I, this is Mobile Heroes Uncensored, so we need something uncensored. Don't rely on, on Google or Facebook, and, and, and it's important to <clears throat> unlock new channels, for example. Absolutely, and if you just rely on those, you just go in the black box and see what goes on, see what comes out, you know, it's really, really challenging to actually intelligently grow. I think we'll call it there. Uh, Peggy has made it like a trooper through this session, and it's wonderful. Thank you so much, Peggy, for struggling and continuing with the help of a few pharmaceutical compounds. And thank you so much, Augustine, for joining us. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you, Augustine. Despite the pharmaceutical compounds, I did get a really interesting grasp of events and thinking about them. And I hope that everyone else thinks about them as differently as well. So thanks for sharing. And thank you to all listeners. We really do appreciate you. Hope you're enjoying it. Let us know on social if you are. And let us know if you want to come and We'll have you on the show. If you're a mobile hero or you know of someone who is, then fill out the interest form over at shorturl.at forward slash JKSKT. Also, Liftoff has a Slack for mobile heroes and people in the mobile ecosystem. There's a link on the screen. And if you're listening to the podcast, it's at info.liftoff.io slash slack dash sign up. It's pretty cool. There's smart people there, and you know what? They probably need you, too. And you have probably been completely blown away by all the insights on this show, and you want your transcript, and you can have it because the transcripts are over at Liftoff's website. Go to liftoff.io, click on Heroes, and then click on Podcast. I actually personally love transcripts because I read way faster than people talk, so that's a great way to get insights really, really quickly. Until next time, this is John Kutz here. Thank you so much for joining. And this is Peggy Ann Saltz signing off for Mobile Heroes Uncensored. <laughs>